Good evening, good evening. Today is Thursday, October 4th, Halloween month this month for fall for all those out there. And it's Thursday, it's October 4th. This is episode 114 of Oscar Mike Radio. Oscar Mike Radio is heard on the Hoobazoo Network. You can find out more on hoobazoo.com. And as, well, mostly always, we will start with the question of the week. And the question I keep getting asked is, uh, how do you feel about warfare 100 years after World War I? And for those of you who are longtime listeners or even first-time listeners, October will be all about World War I. And I cannot wait to get started, although I will say that the more I dig into the history of World War I and what was done and how it was done and how it was fought, uh, how we've come since World War I, I, I realize that I've just scratched the surface on what this conflict did to the world and how far it reached and why it was called the Great War or the War to End All Wars. That being said, I'm not sure if you took the average news person, soldier, sailor, and put them in some of the situations that our uh, grandfathers or great-grandfathers were in in World War I, particularly trench warfare, how we would fare. Uh, you read books, you, you, you watch some film, old film, you look at the technology, and it was a very different way of fighting battles back then. Very, very different. I keep using the example of the tank. Uh, what the, the World War I tank, you see in all the movies and pictures, the Mark 8 uh, tank that was developed in, in Britain and you know, used by uh, you know, forces over there in, in France and Germany and other places and the M1 Abrams of today. The Mark 8, the World War I tank, had a crew of anywhere from 11 to 15. The M1 Abrams has a crew of four. The Mark 8 could only go maybe, maybe eight miles top speed. The M1 Abrams can go almost 60 miles an hour. The uh, armament, the uh, M1 Abrams has like 105 or 120 millimeter uh, cannon. The Mark 8 had something much, much smaller, but the difference was it had many more machine guns. Uh, the M1 Abrams can and has proven it can take a pounding while it is on a location or aggressing towards the enemy. War One tanks, particularly the Mark Eight, were rolling death traps many, many times in trenches and other situations. The tank would break down, run out of ammunition, get stuck, and once that happened, if the crew could not get out or get the tank rolling again, they were sitting ducks. It was, for lack of a better term, a rolling bullet magnet death trap. And that's just one comparison that comes to mind, it's really easy to kind of get a, a left and right table and compare and contrast differences of those two pieces of machinery. And 
what is considered acceptable losses for those pieces of machinery. So you built the tank and it got stuck in the battlefield and you couldn't get it out. Oh, well, you just leave it and move on and we'll get it later. Where, where that's, not, that's not done nowadays. You, you go to actual schools to learn about moving armor, firing while moving. Just the targeting systems in some of the modern tanks is very advanced compared to what our forefathers had to use. So I, I would say that <clears throat> almost in, a, in a, an ironic way, uh, warfare has gotten more efficient in the last 100 years than it ever has been. And I don't know if that's a good thing, but that is the way it is. And again, uh, please follow me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram for more content about World War I this month because this month marks the 100-year anniversary of World War I. So kind of dovetailing now into the word of the week, it's going to be about World War I. And, you know, for me, I, I got interested for a lot of reasons. But again, when I, when I started digging into it, I really found out I, I what I learned in school and what actually happened were two very different things. I, I just didn't know enough about it. So I was really happy that I had this opportunity to learn more and to understand that things were going on way before the United States got involved in World War One and how it changed certain things. Um, you know... If, if I understand it correctly, there was peace in Europe. There was, there was peace in Europe. It was a time of prosperity uh, that, that, that was broken up by an assassination. Uh, it was this Archduke uh, Franz Ferdinand by a Slav nationalist, uh, Gavrilo Princip, on June 28th, 1914. A long time ago, and that whole area of Austria and the Balkans, because this became a real uh, powder keg, became a, a real uh, hotbed of, of conflict and strife, and they had it out. And, you, you know, you read about the countries that were involved in this, uh, a lot of countries were involved in this. I, I didn't know that China was involved in World War One. Never even crossed my mind. And I'll go into this in another episode, but also India, or it was the British colony of India, British territory of India, was also uh, a major player in World War One. But the number of people that served and and and, and what happened, it it, it was crazy. It was just crazy, the scope of, of what was required. And it was a real time of change. And I'm just going to talk about, for a, a couple minutes, how battle in of itself changed. And, and warfare used to be, you got a, a big open ground somewhere, and one side got on one side, uh, the other side got on the other side, and they charged each other with a lot of cavalry, horses, uh, muskets, and swords, and 
is a battle of attrition until the other side capitulated and that battle was won. Now, there are a lot of different factors that weighed into that and how it was fought, but that was, that was pretty much it. Uh, trench warfare and the machine gun kind of changed the whole, the whole aspect of how war was going to get fought. Um, literally, in certain places, the, the, the both sides, primarily the Germans, because they, they were uh, a little bit more advanced than the rest of the people were, would set up machine guns at certain points, and three men could, could literally you know, go through and, and, and hold a point against, you know, 100, 200, 300 men without a problem. It was only limited by how many bullets could be fired and how fast they could reload. And when you can fire at the time, the, these machine guns are firing about 600 bullets a minute at a range of 1,000 yards. Those were large swaths of, of space that, if you wanted to aggress and take over, it was going to cost you a lot of manpower to do so. And a lot of commanders were still stuck in this old us versus them mentality about warfare and how it was fought. So what I'm trying to say is it's not like now where uh, a lot of times we, when I say we, the United States is kind of doctrine is, is establish air superiority. If there is a large, you know, gathering of, of, of troops and supplies, take out the supply dumps, take out the roads, take out the bridges, and then, you know, send in the ground troops. Ground troops approach a city or a target. They'll bring up artillery and shell that uh, area for a while and then send the ground troops to take it over. It, it's, it's a process that has worked out very well for uh, quite a while now, but it wasn't like that. Uh, things like, uh, you know, long-range artillery were not really um, widespread. Old habits were still there. Trench warfare was still pretty much the thing to do, and, and uh, I'm going to go into that in another podcast, but when you read about what trench warfare is and how it operates, it's amazing that more people didn't die. So you have all these things. You have the, the geopolitical aspect. You have the, the land aspect. You have new technology. Talk very briefly now about how, uh, going back to technology, talk about uh, aircraft. And it's my understanding, and I'll, I'll find this because it's kind of interesting how airplanes got involved into being combat aircraft. And, you know, what a biplane is and how it works and how it, how they figured out how to get a, a biplane to actually f fire. It, it, it's crazy what was expected back then. And, and because things were so different and there had been peace for so many years, the sheer ferocity of this war from 1914 and 1918 was unprecedented. And I know that the Vietnam War and and World War II and the Gulf War get a lot more, you know, eyeballs on it, a lot more press. But again, I'm, I'm going to have links to certain resources in the blog post 
and you can check out some of these things. And, and, and again, I'm, I'm just going on basic websites, books I've, I, I've found, and I, I'm just surprised by how much I don't know. And my, my challenge really is, you know, I'm going to take four weeks to go through this. The reality is I could spend an entire year just talking about World War One and what it is and how it affected everything from technology, medicine, uh, psychological care, uh, transportation, government, boundaries, uh, all kinds of, of, of variables that were changed in Europe and abroad forever before World War II was even declared in 1940. So it, it just... It's a lot, man. It's a lot. And I thought I was going to be able to come in here and really try to digest this in a, a 15 to 20 minute talk. And, I, and I'm fine. I, I can't. And that's fine. I, I, I'm actually uh, very comfortable in saying that, hey, you know, I don't know everything. And that's part of the reason why I'm here. Maybe maybe throughout the next year, I'll spend some more time on World War One. But again, if I could, could categorize it, you know, I'd have to say from reading about it is, you know, from an American standpoint, we were not really looking to get into the fight. Uh, President Wilson, Woodrow Wilson, did not want us into uh, getting into this and really resisted any attempt to have us get involved. We did, and I'll go into why that is in, in another podcast. But uh, from the from the time this happened you know, in, in Serbia to how all these countries got involved and, and the manpower behind it and what was required and, and how many people died. It's just amazing that uh, Europe back, bounced back the way it did. And it's kind of sad because, again, this was considered to be the war that ended all other wars. And unfortunately... Uh, mankind found other ways to to keep uh, strife and, and, and conflict going where maybe there, there shouldn't have been. And all I can say, again, between World War I and now is, and this is kind of a paradox, it's kind of a, a, a I don't know if you'd call it an achievement, but you'd have to think with uh, things like drone warfare and cyber warfare that you could make the uh, argument that in another 10, 20 years, you'll have uh, you know humans on the battlefield, sure. But uh, they're probably going to be supported by computer-guided or AI-guided systems that help them achieve their uh, mission objectives. That's a very different, strange place to be compared to an officer on a horse making 100 men behind him charge down the length of a football field toward three guys who are crewing a machine gun that cuts them all down. And the, 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 the platoon behind them are getting ready to follow that platoon to the same fate. 
over and over again until tactics had to change. So, again, I, I just don't mean to ramble, but but again, I, I'm, I'm graphing this all out. I'm, I'm trying to do this, and the challenge really is trying to get it into some kind of uh, conversation where it's about 20 minutes long that will be engaging. But the thing I can tell you, I just can't do it. I'm going to try. I, I, I think I can make this interesting for the next three podcasts about World War One. certain aspects. Some of them you realize, I'm going to talk about the Red Baron. That's pretty well known for people who don't know much about military history. They recognize Snoopy, Snoopy and the Red Baron. They, they get that. I'm going to talk about a book called I Deep in Hell, which is one of the most chilling uh, books I've ever read about uh, trench warfare. And then I'm going to talk about uh, another aspect of warfare, which was air combat. And technology in general. How, how did the machine gun change uh, warfare? How did things like uh, discipline work? Uh, maybe I'll do something else. I don't know, but but I'm, I'm going to talk about, you know, those, those things in terms of, you know, how many men actually died in war one from each co- uh, country. What was India and China's involvement? I might do that one for the fourth one. And then what we can look forward to in the last hundred years. So again, um, I tried doing this and I prepared and I have all kinds of notes, which I'll put in the blog post. But when, again, you, you start digging into certain aspects of World War One, it, it becomes very interesting. And in some cases, it, the, the, the situations happening back then certainly apply to certain things going on today. And I think in some ways, we haven't progressed at all when it comes to resolving our differences. We're just very efficient about how we, we, we wield our stick, if you will. So that's how I'm going to end this. Uh, I'm, I'm going to encourage you to come back for next week when I talk about um, I Deep in Hell, which is a book I read, and how I felt about that. should go a little bit easier. And again, I'm going to tell you to go to my blog post on OscarMikeRadio.com and check out some of the materials there that that I looked at so you can get an idea of just the scope of this and how big this actually was in a time where there wasn't the internet, there wasn't cable TV, uh, there weren't Kindles and ebooks, there weren't apps on a phone, you know, there, there weren't even flashlights. So it was just a very different look and feel back then. So that's it for the word. Uh, thanks for being with me. And I want to move on to an upcoming event I'm looking forward to talking with you about. Um, I'm excited about this. I, I'm excited about uh, more and more the contributions that women veterans are making to uh, service members and what they do after they get out. You know, in, in some ways, uh, their contributions don't end there for them. They want to be there for their their fellow uh, brothers and sisters, more so uh, their brothers. 
by virtue of the fact that there's just more men that serve than women. But the, the point I want to make is, is women veterans are in, involved. And, and so I, I saw this cool thing on Facebook and checked it out. It's, it's called uh, Women's Veterans Appreciation Day, and it's November 1st. And the keynote speaker is Brigadier General Megan Q. McClurk at the Massachusetts State House in the Great Hall from 10 a.m. to 11.30 a.m. And, I mean, that, that's just um, very, very cool. Very, very cool. Uh, some of the women that I know that are involved in veterans outreach in uh, the Boston area will definitely be there. Uh, I like the fact that Massachusetts is making sure they give some attention to the contributions that women veterans, uh, you know, do and the work that they do to take care of us, to further other uh, causes and issues with female veterans and female service members. I think it's very important. And uh, who knows, maybe I can, uh, when is the first? Let me see here. Oh, it's a Thursday. We'll see. Maybe yours truly will get to sneak down there. Well, I shouldn't say sneak. Slip in uh, and, and check it out and, and say hello. I think it'd be very cool. And they are on Facebook. You can check them out on Facebook through the VA Healthcare System in Boston. They've got it as an upcoming event. And um, you definitely want to check it out. So as I close, I'm getting close to the end of the year. I'm looking forward to 2019 and what's going on. I looked at my checklist and I've been able to get done most, if not almost everything that I set out to do in 2018. A couple of minor things that I'm trying to do before the end of the year, but overall I, I have achieved what I've set out to do. And what I've set out to do is to try to produce a, a good, time for everybody listening every time now tonight's one of those nights where I, I really didn't think my my word session was that strong uh, I, I think I was trying to do too much at one time but overall uh, my sound is now dialed in the way I want it to be the uh, the the process works I got some people who are interested in coming on and talking further with me about things that are important to them but I haven't been focused on interviews so much as trying to make sure that the the product I'm putting out is good. And overall, I, I'm 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 doing better consistently than I have been, and I'm really happy about that. And it just makes it so cool when when someone comes up to me, whether it's a, a colleague or somebody I see on the train, or somebody drops me a line says, "Hey, that was a good." That, that was good work, or <laughs> I think the, my, my favorite one recently is someone told me my voice is outstandingly calm. Don't know what that means exactly, but okay. If uh, listening to my voice calms you down before you go to bed and you find some comfort there, hey, more power to you. I'm happy for you. So more to come. More is going to happen, and I'm, I'm, I'm a more is more kind of guy. So uh, that is it for this week. Thank you very much. We are out.